passage today is from Zechariah 9 through 11. The oracle of the word of the Lord is against the land of Hadrach and Damascus and its resting place. For the Lord has an eye on mankind and all the tri tribes of Israel, and on Hamath also which borders on it, and Tyre and Sidon, though they are very wise. Tyre has built herself a rampart and has heaped silver like dust and fine gold like the mud of the streets. But behold, the Lord will strip her of her possessions and strike down her power on the sea, and she shall be devoured by fire. Ashkelon shall see it and be afraid. Gaza too shall writhe in anguish. Ekron also because its hopes are confounded. The king shall perish from Gaza and Ashkelon shall be uninhabited. A mixed people shall dwell in Ashdod and I will cut off the pride of Philistia. I will take away its blood from its mouth and its abomination from between its teeth. It too shall be a remnant for our God. It shall be like a clan in Judah and Ekron shall be like the Jebusites. And I will encamp at my house as a guard that so that none shall march to and fro, and no oppressor, no oppressor shall again march over them. For now I see with my own eyes. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations, and his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set the prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. The, today I declare that I will restore to you double, for I have bent Judah as my bow, and I have made Ephraim its arrow. And I will stir up your sons, O Zion, and against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword." Then the Lord will appear over them, and his arrow will go forth like lightning. And the Lord God will sound like the trumpet, and will march forth in the whirl whirlwinds of the south. And the Lord of hosts will protect them, and they shall devour and tread down, down the sling stones. And they shall drink and roar as if drunk with wine, and, and be full like a bull, and drenched like the corners of the altar. And on that day the Lord their God will save them as the flock of his people. For like the jewels of a crown they shall shine on his land." For how great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Grain shall make the young men flourish and new wine the young women. And ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain. From the Lord who makes the storm clouds, he will give them the showers of rain and everyone the vegetation in the field. For the household gods utter nonsense and the diviners see lies. And they, they tell false dreams and give empty consolation. Therefore the people wander like sheep and are afflicted for lack of a shepherd. For my anger is hot against the shepherds, and I will punish the leaders. For the Lord of hosts cares for his flock, the house of Judah, and he will make them like his majestic seed in the, in, in the battle. For him shall come the cornerstone, from him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler, all of them together. They shall be like mighty men in battle, trampling the foe in the mud of the streets. They shall fight because the Lord is with them, and they shall be put to shame the, the riders on horses." And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them back because I have compassion on them. And they shall be as though I had not rejected them. For I am the Lord their God, and I will answer them. Then Ephraim shall become like a mighty, mighty warrior, and their hearts shall be glad with wine. Their children shall see it and be glad, and their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them in, for I have redeemed them. And they shall be as many as they were before. Though I scatter them among the nations, yet in far countries they shall remember me. 
and with their children they shall live and return. And I will give them home from the land of Egypt and gather them from Assyria. And I will bring to them into the land of Gilead and to Lebanon till there is no room for them. And they shall pass through the sea of troubles and strike down the waves of the sea and all the depths of the Nile shall be dried up. And the pride of Assyria shall be laid low and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. And I will make them strong in the Lord and they shall walk in his name, declares the Lord. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that the fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen. For the glorious trees are ruined. Wail, oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has been felled. The sound of the wail of the shepherds for their glory is ruined. The sound of the roar of the lions for the thicket of the Jordan is ruined. Thus said the Lord my God, become shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them slaughter them and go unpunished, and those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, I have become rich, and their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of this land, declares the Lord. Behold, I will cause each of them to fall into the hand of his neighbor, and each into the hand of his king, and they shall crush the land, and I will deliver none from their hand." So I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to be slaughtered by the sheep traders, and I took two staffs, one I named Favor, the other I named Union, and I tended the sheep. In one month I destroyed the three shepherds, but I became impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. And let those who are left devour the flesh of one another." And I took my staff favor and I broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day, and the sheep traders who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, if it seems good to you, give me my wages, but if not, keep them. And they weighed out as my wages 30 pieces of silver. Then the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the lordly price at which I was priced by them. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. Then I broke my second staff union, annulling the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Then the Lord said to me, take once more the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For behold, I am raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for those being destroyed or seek the young or heal the maimed or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hoofs. Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. All right. Good morning. Kids, where are you guys at? Raise your hands up for me. All right. So who knows what today is? Father's Day. All right. This one's harder. Who knows what Thursday is? Lucy? My birthday! <laughs> How many of you like your birthday? All right, put your hands down. Why do you like your birthday? Evie? You get to have people over. What about you, Levi? Party, you like being older? Who likes their birthday because they get presents? Me too. One of my favorite things to do as a kid was to like think and dream and get excited about the presents that I hoped I was going to get on my birthday. And 
That's still the same now that I'm old. And the reason why I bring this up is because in our passage today, God, through Zechariah, he tells the people about something that's coming, something that they're waiting for, something that they're hoping for. He tells them about this this coming king, this perfect king who's going to come and like make everything right, fix everything. He's going to end all the wars and he's going to make peace for the people uh, all over the place. It's gonna, it is, his rule, his, his kingdom is going to be everywhere. It's going to be fantastic. And, and that's what the people were waiting for. That's what they were hoping for. That's what they were looking forward to. Even more than, than you or I look forward to our birthdays. They were hoping for those things. But we, as God's people, it's like it's after our birthday, right? And we, we've already got the thing we were waiting for. We get to look back and say, hey, remember that time when you got me this present for my birthday and it was awesome? We, as God's people, get to look back on this king that the people in Zechariah's day were looking forward to, were hoping for. We get to look back and see that Jesus came. He came down to earth. God sent him here and he lived a perfect life in our place. He brought God's kingdom down here. And we, as his people, get to live in the realities of what he's done for us. We get to celebrate those things together as a church. And so kids, go home today and ask your parents uh, what new things they learned about Jesus as our king from this passage in Zechariah this morning. Parents, go home and, and remind your kids of the good news of of who Jesus is and and what he came to do and what he's still doing on our behalf. Let's let's pray together, and then we'll get into Zechariah 9 through 11 this morning. Father, we thank you for your word and that it it tells us about all the things you've done for your people throughout history. That in Zechariah's day, when when the people needed hope, you told them about this king that you were going to send who was going to set everything right. And we thank you that by your grace, we get to live in a time where we get to look back on the reality that you did send Jesus. That Jesus is making all things new. He is setting all things right. And that we also, with them, get to wait for when all of those things come in their fullness, where we get to be with you in your kingdom without any wrongs. Jesus, we thank you for for who you are, what you've done for us. We pray that you would send your spirit to to help us to to understand your word together this morning, that we would would benefit from from what you inspired Zechariah to pass down to later generations so that we could benefit from your word together this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So in today's passage, these, these three chapters in Zechariah, we see God kind of coming as this, as this warrior against his enemies. Then we get this picture of this, this coming messianic king that's announced, which we, we just talked about. Uh, We see him kind of as the ideal leader. And then chapters 10 and 11 focus on these these kind of broken shepherds that had been oppressing God's people and God's response to those shepherds. He's he's angry with these bad shepherds. 
Uh, and so in the first eight verses, we see that we see God as this, this warrior coming against his enemy. And so he mentions kind of all those cities. He mentions Hadrach, Damascus, Hamath. That's, those are places in Syria. Then he mentions Tyr and Sidon. He says that he's going to strike them down and, and devour them by fire. He's going to pour out judgment on the enemies of the people of God. Then he, see, he talks about Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, Ashdod. These are Philistine cities. They too are going to face judgment. But in verse 7, we get, we get something new, right? As we've kind of gone through the minor prophets, we've seen a whole lot of judgment at this point. We've seen judgment against the people of God. We've seen judgment against the enemies of God. We've seen judgment on, on these cities and these places before in the minor prophets. But we get this, this new development in Zechariah. In verse 7, uh, he says that out of this destruction that God is going to pour out on these people, a remnant is going to come who are going to join God's people. And this is important for us to recognize because a lot of times the Old Testament gets this reputation of of God. He's he's only cares about Israel in the the Old Testament. And then when we get to the New Testament, then he cares about the nations. But the reality is that's not the case. We see places like this all throughout the Old Testament where God's heart is for the nations all along. He is pouring out judgment on these nations, on these cities, on these places, but he's also redeeming some of these people. They're part of the remnant who will join the people of God. His heart has has always been for the nations. And that section, these first eight verses where we see God as this warrior, it ends with him encamping around his people, him protecting his people, uh, and he promises that that no oppressor is going to march over them again. This is important, right? Because these people have, have just been through that, right? They, they've experienced exile and conquering and judgment. And God is saying, I'm going to encamp around you and protect you from your enemies. In the rest of chapter 9, we get this picture of this coming messianic king. This is the one they've been waiting for. First, he, he calls them to rejoice greatly, to, to shout aloud. Why? Because their king, he says, is coming to them. He's righteous. He's bringing salvation with them. He's bringing them the things that they've been waiting for, that they've been longing for. It says that he's humbled and he's mounted on a donkey. This is significant, right? Because God has just been pictured as this warrior. And for them, kings often rode into town on a war horse. But he's saying, this king isn't like that. He's not like them. He's different. He's humble. He's gentle. He comes into town on a donkey. This is probably the most well-known verse in Zechariah, maybe in in all the minor prophets, right? Because we, we read it in the Gospels. This is how Jesus enters Jerusalem with humility, says that this king is going to abolish war, and instead he'll, he'll speak peace to the nations. Again, he's, he's not like the other kings. And this, this peace here, it, it's not just the absence of war. You know, I think that we often, when we, when we think about peace with our, our American Western brains, we think about peace as being like no conflict, right? When there, there's peace in your house, your kids aren't, aren't bickering with one another. They're not fighting about things. Then there's, there's peace. But the reality is that's not what peace is. Tim Keller, when, when, when he talks about peace, he says, like, imagine that, like, there was this, you know, this table up here. And on that table were, like, thousands and thousands of threads just in a giant pile. Right? That, that would not be peace. That would probably be like most of our homes when our kids aren't fighting. Like, it's... It's quieter, 
But peace is like if, if an artist came along and, and took those threads and, and wove them under and, and over and around and created this, this beautiful tapestry where every thread is in the perfect place. Like that's what peace is like. That's the kind of peace this king is bringing. He's not just going to end war. He's going to put everything in its proper place. He's going to make things how they've been supposed to be all along. And it says that his rule will be, will be from sea to sea, from, from the river to the ends of the earth. His rule of peace is going to be everywhere. Obviously, we know from, from looking back on Zechariah that this is pointing forward to Jesus. Right? Jesus came. He, he brought salvation down. He is righteous. He came in humility and gentleness, and he established peace between God and men. He brought the kingdom of heaven down here, and he is still expanding his kingdom through his people until the day he returns and brings it in its fullness. He is this king that was promised. And we get to serve and, and worship and live in the reality of the king who, who came. Not, not, we're not waiting for him. We're, we're waiting for him to come back in his fullness, but we get to live in so many of these realities that they just hope for generation after generation. In verse 11, he, he addresses the people. He says that because of the covenant that God has with his people, because he has this, this covenantal, loving, uh, never-stopping relationship with his people, he's going to set their prisoners free. There's a call for them to return. He, he's calling all the remaining exiles home. Even though some of the people had come back from the land, they were still the people of God scattered around the, the nations. And so he, he's promising to restore them and, and kind of invite them to share in the victory that he's going to have over his enemies. And the result is going to be complete and, and total salvation for his people. They're going to know his, his goodness and his beauty, and they'll flourish with him in his creation. This is what he's doing. This is what he's coming to bring. This is what the people have been waiting for. This is what we look back on and also look forward to. And so chapter 9 ends at the highest of heights, right? This is, this is the best news for these people. But then chapters 10 and 11 kind of, kind of jolt us right back to reality in this broken world. They focus mainly on, on God's anger against, against bad shepherds, against bad leaders over his flock. In their past, bad kings were, were let, what led to the exile. Both in the north and the south, there were bad rulers who misled the people, who, who caused them to, to be conquered, to, to, be, uh, you know, to, to receive God's judgment, and to, and to go into exile. But after the exile, they still faced the same problems. Uh, in a few weeks in Malachi, we'll see that he has to confront some priests who are misleading the people. Uh, if we were to read Nehemiah, we would see that, that some other governors of, of the people, unlike Nehemiah, used their power to, uh, to oppress and abuse God's people. And it's not just leaders within Israel that cause problems, right? Leaders in, in Assyria and Babylon and Persia and, and later for them, Greece and Rome are also going to abuse and mistreat God's people. Bad leaders cause all kinds of problems for the people of God. And so at the beginning of chapter 10, God begins to confront some of these leaders. He says that his people wander like sheep. They're, they're afflicted for, for lack of a shepherd. And God's anger, he says, is hot against these shepherds. He's going to punish them. Why? Because he cares for his flock, right? He, he's the real shepherd over his people. 
the Lord, in spite of these bad leaders, is going to lead them to victory in battle. Verse 6 says he'll strengthen and save them. He'll, he'll bring them back because he has compassion on them, because he is the Lord their God. He, he is in this covenantal relationship with them. The result is that the people will be mighty. They'll, they'll rejoice. They'll be glad. He says that he'll, he'll whistle for them and bring them back, back from Egypt, back from Assyria. He says that there'll be so many of them coming home, there, there won't be any room left. He's bringing them from all over. He'll, he'll make them strong and they'll walk in his name. And then in chapter 11, at the beginning, he uses the imagery of these, these great forests, which are being taken down to depict the fall of these leaders. They, they looked like they were strong. They looked like they were, you know, mighty and majestic. But the reality is that their glory is going to be ruined. And then in the rest of chapter 11, Zechariah carries out this, this, this kind of strange prophetic act. God tells him to become shepherd of this flock that's doomed to slaughter. They're doomed to slaughter because both the owners of the sheep and also the shepherds of the sheep don't care about the sheep. They only care about profiting off them, about making money. The, the sheep are just, you know, an economic thing for them. But Zechariah, as he cares for the sheep, as he begins to care for the sheep, he has two staffs. He's got favor and, and union, and he, he tends to the sheep. In one month, he says he destroys three shepherds. So he's protecting the sheep from these bad shepherds. But then he becomes impatient with them because, you know, they're, they're sheep, and the sheep hate him. They don't like him leading over them. So he quits. He lets them devour themselves and die. He breaks the staff named Favor, which annuls the covenant that he made with them. And then for the time of his shepherding, he, he's paid 30 pieces of silver, which then at the Lord's instruction, he takes and he throws into the house of the Lord to the potter. 30 pieces of silver, it's the price paid to a slave. So, so he's not really paid for his work. And you might also remember that in the New Testament, this is, this is the wage that's paid to Judas when he betrays Jesus. Next, he breaks his second staff, which is union, which annuls the brotherhood between Israel and Judah. Uh, bad leaders destroy unity among God's people. And in verse 15, the Lord asks him again to take up the, the equipment of a foolish shepherd. He's like, let's do, let's do this all over again. Why? Because God says he's raising up a shepherd who doesn't care for those being destroyed. He's, he's giving them a bad leader. But the chapter closes with a warning to these shepherds. He says, Woe to my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. May the sword strike his arm and his right eye. Let his arm be wholly withered, his right eye utterly blinded. So there's going to be severe judgment for those who, who mislead God's people. And there have been a lot of them throughout their history. But the point here is that, is that at the end of all this, God is, is kind of handing over his people to this, this worst, worthless shepherd for, for a time. Now, the good news is that Zechariah doesn't end chapter 11. Right? There, there's more coming next week. But, but for this week, for, for this passage, what we're seeing is that God is, is going to come as a warrior to protect his people. And he's going to send this, this king that they've been waiting for. He's going to make everything right. He's going to fix all the wrongs. He's going to rule over his people and bring them into his kingdom. Not just his people, but also remnants of these nations that he's going to pour out judgment on. 
There's also going to be judgment for these bad leaders. So we have this ideal leader in this messianic king who's coming, Jesus. We also have this picture of all these bad leaders. There's going to be judgment on them. God's people are left in a place where they're, they're still under those bad leaders. And the reality for us is that right, we probably deserve to end in that situation. Right, with a worthless shepherd over us. But instead, the reality is that we get Jesus. We get the good shepherd. God, in his grace and mercy, sends us not a worthless shepherd, but one who lays down his life for his sheep. We get the gentle and humble king who, who enters uh, the city on a donkey instead of on a war horse. We get the one who's going to come and, and, and make peace, who's going to set everything right who's going to take that that giant pile of threads that is us and our life and weave them all together in the perfect way. We get, instead of judgment, we get to flourish with him in his creation. We get to be the people that he made us to be. And so this morning, as we we continue in worship, as as we pivot to the Lord's Supper, Let's remind ourselves that even though we're, we're stuck in a, in a broken world right now, under broken systems of government, we see more worthless shepherds than we see good shepherds. Remember that, that we have the best shepherd over us in Jesus. We take the Lord's Supper to, to remind us that he did come and die in our place that he did actually lay down his life for his sheep. He didn't detest the sheep and quit. That he paid with his life for us and for our sin. His body was broken and his blood was shed for us and for our sin. So this morning, take some time. Prepare your hearts so we can continue in worship together, even as we look forward to and and long for the day when he comes back and makes everything right. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. that you lay down your life for your sheep. And even though we rebel against you and turn to our own ways, you constantly call us back to yourself. You lead us in the way we should go. We pray this morning that you would Send your spirit to help us to respond rightly to your word. That we would remember again who you are and what you've done for us. That we would remember that that even though we see worthless shepherds all around, that, that the reality is that we are under your rule as king. Pray that even as we live in this broken world now and and long for you to come and and set things right, that we would pursue peace now, working for what you came to establish. 
We thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf and pray that you would send your spirits, help us to, to continue to worship well together this morning. In your name we pray, amen.